content warning. This episode includes one loud noise, two mentions of parental transphobia, some strong language, and a long poem about capitalism, which includes a short stanza about police violence. ACAP. I have a cat at home, and his name is Lord Byron, because he's dramatic as hell. He'll run around the apartment at four in the morning and do backflips on the wall, sometimes stepping on our faces in his ecstatic marathon around and around, until from the kitchen, we'll hear something shatter. Cherry and I both agree he has chaotic bisexual energy. There's just this look in his eyes. I can't explain it, but it's undeniable. And we can't leave any food out on the counter, not even fruit, because the little goblin will take a single bite out of everything and leave it there, tainted with cat spit. It's fitting that we named him after the eccentric English poet because he is a menace. But absolutely nothing he ever did could have prepared me for my wake-up call at 8 a.m. I bumped my skull on the headboard in my scramble to escape whatever hell spawn could make such a noise, and I saw them there, sitting around the blankets, perched on the footboard, on the dresser, filling the floor like a hairy flood. They all sat perfectly still, their eyes fixed on me. I felt exposed sitting there in my pajamas and my messy hair. They watched me, like a panel of judges, like a jury, like a crowd at a wrestling match. There was something amused and voyeuristic gleaming in their eyes. The biggest of the cats stepped towards me. He was a gigantic, fluffy white fellow with a flat face and a tremendous gray mustache that stretched across it. He had a piece of paper in his mouth. He took unabashed steps up my legs, gave me a meaningful look, and dropped what he was carrying in my lap. It was a note. Breakfast is getting cold. No sooner than I had picked up the note, the cats took their leave. They leapt off the bed and swarmed around the space beside the dresser, slipping into a hole in the wall that I hadn't noticed the night before. The biggest cat made sure all the others had gone before following them. He turned to me again, sternly. Meow. And he disappeared into the tunnel in the wall. Downstairs, Doubleday was slipping pancakes, and Laverna was reading the newspaper. Good morning, dear. Did you sleep well? Good morning. Yes, I did. But the cat... Oh, they weren't too hard on you, were they? Oh, darling, you did tell the cats to mind their matters, didn't you? Ah, oh, I did. I'm sorry, May. You know how cats are. They never listen. I nodded because I didn't know what to say. Do you still want to take a little tour to meet the cats, dear? Maybe they'll be kinder to you if been properly introduced. <laughs> yes, I'd like that. You could even write little poems about them for your book. That's a lot of poems, love. Don't overload the lady. Well then, she could write them just for the cats that strike her fancy. May, would you like, uh, orange juice? Uh, tea? Uh, coffee? Or, uh... Water with your breakfast. Tea, please. Laverna winked at me and took a kettle off the stove, then poured water from it into a ceramic mug. 
they snapped their fingers over the cup of hot water and muttered something, then handed it to me with a tea bag. Seeing my confusion at the finger snap, Laverna laughed. Their eyes sparkled with mischief. Oh, pay me no mind. I'm only superstitious. By the way, May, we've got another guest coming later this afternoon. This week is going to be a busy one. Lots of comings and goings. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to meet them. Breakfast tasted better than anything I've ever had. Even my tea somehow seemed extra special. Once the meal had ended, Laverna and Doubleday took me through all the rooms, pulling cats from under antique love seats and out of hidden corners and baskets, introducing each and every one of them by name. With their help, I wrote depictions of a few of them. If you're looking for a weirdo, you'll find that no cat's odder than darling Gary over here because he loves the water. Some days, he's in the garden pond swimming with the fishes, and others he'll be in the sink to help you wash the dishes. What a delightful stripey boy, a truly lovely tabby. Just do not try to keep him dry, or else he won't be happy. Gary, say hello. DB greeted us on our way up the stairs. He was a dusty brown sort of cat with a pronounced forehead. DB stands for Darling Boy. Yes, you. You, darling, darling boy. DB stood for something else once, but uh, we can't remember what it was. We found him half frozen to death, but we could still tell he was a wily fellow. He's got such a mysterious personality. He seems almost the type who would wear sunglasses or hijack an airplane and parachute out with $200,000 never to be seen again. Quite the character. We went up the third floor and found Harold sleeping on the wooden chest with the newspapers and stuffed animals. They told me Harold is a fat orange tabby with an ego complex. He fancies himself to be the 17th Prime Minister of Australia. The complex part is that he isn't anymore. <laughs> He's a flabby fellow with dandelion puff paws and memories of waves crashing behind his eyes from one fateful day at the beach. Poor love. We pulled him out of the water ourselves since we happened to be on a walk in the neighborhood. We absolutely had to keep him, even though he is quite pompous. Meow. Most of our cats are rescues. Harold, Carl, Frank, Amelia, Dorothy, D.B. and Jean, and oh so many others. Amelia we found on an island in the middle of nowhere with her dear friend Fred, and Dorothy had nearly gotten in a traffic accident. Poor love. They like to stay out in the garden so you'll know them when you see them. Oh, shall we go looking for Carl now? He was sitting in the reading nook on the second floor, with his long white fur catching the light around him like a halo, so illuminated by the sunshine from the bay windows that he was blinding. The biggest cat of all, the one who had delivered their note this morning, he looked at us with a stern academic air of knowing too much. Carl's a severe old man with a catty sense of humor, and he stalks the house pondering what he can do to make it better. If one cat takes another's food, Carl always comes to smack them. He knows that cats have certain rights, and he knows he must protect them. He'll spend hours in the study with us while we're around, meowing about all his thoughts so we can write them down. For instance, he has lots of thoughts about how humans act. 
He's quite concerned with all their systems and the common sense they lack. Cats are much smarter, Carl thinks, for cats have always valued their resources for use, not price. They think of food as food. Some humans, wayward fools they are, they're so obsessed with power. They'll tear the earth from farmers' hands and force them into labor. And then those ones who stole the earth sit idle, sweating lies, removed from life and drenched in fear that people will unionize. And so they get some bodyguards that look and sound like them, and the masses into funding these roving groups of murder men. You know them too. They dress in blue, and they all have the nerve to bathe themselves in human blood and say, protect and serve. See, Carl is a thoughtful cat and thinks none of us are free until we work for all of us, not just for salary. Like cats, humans are soft animals, and when all is said and done, they're mainly built to dream and play and only work for fun. And sweet lives would be possible, Carl yowls and spits, if their resources weren't hoarded by a bunch of rich old gits. He's published many volumes of his theories with our help, under many lovely pseudonyms that he made up himself. If you ever need a challenge to your capitalism, dear, then you needn't look much farther than our darling Carl here. Thanks to Carl, all the cats get along, for the most part, and all the cats can ask for what they need. We have weekly meetings with them all to foster communication and make sure everyone is happy and healthy. Goodness, if we didn't, they'd surely have a mutiny. I can't imagine how the people live with cats without talking with them. Later in the afternoon, I was sitting at the kitchen counter writing cat poems in a notebook and eating apple slices off a platter Doubleday had arranged when a young man walked in. He carried a backpack that was covered in pins. One of the straps of the backpack was painted in the colors of the trans flag, the other, the Philadelphia rainbow flag. He had floppy bleached hair that he'd probably dyed blue a month ago. It was more of a greenish color now and black roots were going back. He had a silver septum piercing and a single dangly earring. He looked around the room disoriented, and then said, Cool. May, this is Stefano. He'll be staying in the other spare room on the second floor. And Stefano, May here is an author. She's writing a book about this house and whomever she meets here. If you don't mind, dearie, I've got to go upstairs to finish getting your room ready, but I'm sure May would love to talk to you about all manner of things. Laverna left us a platter of fruit, and I was left with my own social nervousness and a person I would have never met otherwise. But at least we were both queer. I like your pins, I said. Thanks. I like your haircut. So what brings you here? A bunch of stuff. I recently dropped out of art school and I needed a break from my parents. Plus furcons going on, so I'm here for, like, the weekend. Oh, wow. Would you... Do you mind if I put you in my book? Hell yeah, for sure. Write down whatever you want. I've always wanted to get in something like that. Thanks, I appreciate it. So am I going to be, like, a character? 
yeah, you'll be a character in this book. And I might also use you as inspiration for other characters later in other books. Oh, dope. So do you want, like, the whole story about why I'm here? Yes, if you want to share it. So my dad is an asshole and stopped paying my tuition when I came out. Came out the most recent time, at least. So I've spent the last few months just selling my artwork and the costume pieces I make. I've almost got enough safe to move out. Oh, gosh. My parents weren't great when I came out, but nothing like that. Yeah, I mean, they think they're good people. They were all right about it when I came out a few years ago as a lesbian, which I'm not. But they weren't too happy to hear that I'm actually a gay man. Down with decent parenting, I guess. Honestly, that's the last closet I'm trusting them with. They don't even know the half of it, you know? It's just exhausting. Oh gosh, I bet. So how about you? You're writing a book, but why are you doing it here? Oh, well, why not? Lots of people come through BNBs, and it's easier for me to talk to strangers if I've got an excuse. Stefano nodded. Hey, that makes sense. And I guess some people are more willing to open up to people that they'll never have to see again, you know? You certainly seem to be. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. See, that's what happens when you've got a big mouth but no money for therapy. You learn to open up to randos. The ones who love you, though, they hardly hear a thing. I don't want to worry them. So, would you rather I leave things out of my book? Nah, keep it all. Just use a fake name. Okay, for sure. Do you have one in mind? How about... Stefano? Stefano? Yeah, like the secret identity of that dude with the eye tattoo on his ankle. Oh, you mean from Lemony Snicket's books? Yeah, I read those when I was a kid, and I always thought the name Stefano was cool. Plus, there's always something debonair about that guy. I'd like to think of myself as the kind of man who wears disguises and long, flapping overcoats, going through the world carrying out nefarious plans, except without being nasty. Maybe I'd keep the arson, though. I don't know. You know, I think I just want an overcoat. Okay. When I write my book, I'll replace any mention of your name with the name Stefano. Cool. So, uh, what kind of art do you make? You know what a furry is, right? Yes, sort of. There's a lot I just can't really understand. That's super fair. There are a lot of common misconceptions about the furry fandom, just because most people didn't know what furries were until NCIS depicted us as, like, a fetish. Which we aren't at all, but media representation is everything, you know? I see. And like, yeah, there are some weird pockets, but doesn't every fandom have a handful of embarrassing weirdos? Honestly, football fans are way more of a threat to society. You do have a point. Honestly, the stereotyping just sucks. I've been out with friends fursuiting, and sometimes people glare at you or yell rude things. But I'd say as somebody who's trans mask, I felt safer wearing a fursuit than I ever did wearing a short dress. Funny thing is, it's usually the same sort of people yelling at you. Stefano said this in a way that let you know just how not funny it was. I thought to ask, so if you get so much hate for it, why do you still do it? I mean, why does anybody do anything fun? Why do people come home from their jobs and sit in front of their televisions? Why do you write stories? It's just another form of escapism. You get to dress up like a big stuffed animal and be silly. 
and the people who don't hate you all want to give you hugs or take pictures with you. Plus, for folks like me, it can really be a breath of fresh air to have people perceive you in a way that you have control over. Since my persona has masculine-coded features, people generally treat him the way I wish they'd always treat me. While Stefano was speaking, Laverna had come down from the kitchen staircase and taken down a dusty old book from on top of the cupboard. They looked up from flipping through it when Stefano mentioned his persona, and they closed it with a punctuating snap. Sorry to intrude, dear, but do you have a drawing of your persona? I'm very curious. Uh, yeah, let me just pull up a picture. Stefano took out his phone and showed us. So his name is Captain Fiddles, and he is a black cat with white paws and orange eyes. And he's a librarian by day and a vigilante activist by night. <laughs> oh, he looks just like the little stray cat we've been seeing around the neighborhood. Minus the librarian and vigilante part, as far as I know. Laverna gave Stefano a look I can hardly describe. It was like they were studying the way his face was put together, with all the precision of a surgeon. Maybe if we manage to befriend the little cat, we'll name him after you. Stefano looked taken aback. Wow, thanks. That would be cool. Ah, don't mention it. Your room is all ready if you'll just follow me. Stefano followed them up the stairs, and I took out my notebook and began to jot things down. Later that night, I was sitting in bed talking on the phone with Cherry, when I heard the most pitiful little meow. Hold on a second. Could you hear that? Hear what? The meow. No. Is one of the cats in your room? Not as far as I can see. Oh, wait. Out from the hole in the wall stepped a very small black cat with white paws and orange-yellow eyes. What is it? Oh, it's the stray kitten that Laverna mentioned earlier. They must have gotten him to come inside. Oh, the poor baby's shaking. Oh no, do you think he's cold? It's been really chilly lately. He looks scared. I heard him that time. I'm gonna put the phone down for a second. I want to see if I can pick him up. I got out of bed and went over to the little cat. He looked up at me with gigantic eyes still visibly trembling. I reached out my hand to him, and he just looked at it. He didn't sniff it like most cats would, but he also didn't move. So I scooped him up and scratched him behind his ears, and after a little while he started to purr. I was worried he'd still be cold, so I wrapped him in one of my softer sweaters, went back to bed, and tucked him under my arms. I told Cherry about this, and she said, that's so sweet. I hope he does okay. I hope so, too. <laughs> Just don't get too attached to all the cats if you can help it, okay, love? Lord Byron's enough of a handful all by himself. I'm not gonna steal the cats. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, if you did, you'd be a cat burglar. <laughs> I love you so much. Hi, 
Hi, this is Bex Brostowski, writer and editor of Pictures of a Lavender House. Pictures of a Lavender House is produced by Astro Podcasting Presents and The College Players. Voice talents for this episode include Janelle Malonzo as May, Dylan Vodzak as Laverna, Eli Ramos as Doubleday, Jatrika Budamagunta as Stefano, and Kelsey Villanueva as Cherry. It also includes V. Kornfeld as Carl the Cat, Gabriel Brostowski as Gary the Cat, Tal Manier as DB the Cat, Melody Meishman as Harold the Cat, and Chaitrika Bodumagunta as Stefano the Cat. Additional cat voices were provided by Eli Ramos, Ruby Carlson, Fresno, who is actually a cat, and myself. Special thanks to Eli Ramos and to The Sun, without whom my life would be very cold. One last thing, I'd like to resolve the debate around puns made by cattle, namely whether or not cattle can make puns. I personally think that their puns are terrible. Believe me. I've calculated it. Thanks for listening.